Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Lord, we just thank you for your grace today. And Lord, as we approach your word, we approach it with humility and understand that it is you that gives us revelation and understanding in all that you have written through your apostle. So Lord, today, teach us, challenge us, change us, and Lord, make us like you. We ask that you would not only give us understanding, but that you would apply the word to our heart, Lord, that we become more and more like you. Bless our time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we're looking at the book of 1 John, we're remembering that it was written by the Apostle John in his 90s. He had been banished to the island of Patmos, and after the emperor died, he was released from Patmos, and he writes the Gospels, he writes the Epistles, and he writes Revelation. And it's out of that revelation that he had of the risen glorified Lord Jesus Christ, that he writes us to affirm not only our salvation, but to combat the false teachings that were being introduced into Christendom. And one of the false teachings that he was specifically dealing with at this time was Gnosticism. And again, Gnosticism was a sense of worshiping knowledge and saying that knowledge was key, but it was actual a secret knowledge, a spiritual knowledge that was gained only by secret revelation. And it dismissed everything of the physical world that was bad, including the aspect that it said that Jesus was not born physically and he did not physically die for his sins. And if he didn't, we have no salvation. So as he continues his argument and as he continues to teach us not only who Jesus is, but who we are and the depth of salvation, we find that in chapter 2. So let's begin our study as we look at verses 1 and 2. And the scripture says, my little children, notice the term of affection that he uses. And it's the same term that Jesus used as well. Jesus talked to his apostles and talked to the ones he was teaching in the same way. John, the elder, he is old in his age, but he's looking at the younger people of faith with a great heart of compassion and love and affection. So he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is our propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. So as he begins, again, it's just a great term of affection. And family, that affection should be regularly a part of who we are. God has brought us into his family and made us family members with one another. It's the love of Christ that changes our heart. It's the affection of Christ that draws us into his body and draws us closer to him. It's got a great personal tone as he's writing this. And... Then he says his reason for writing is that they may not sin. One of the key aspects in this epistle is the fact that we have been delivered from the power of sin and death. The scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5, 
verse 17, it says that we are new creatures in Christ Jesus, that old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. One of the greatest truths of the New Testament and the work that Jesus has done on the cross for us is not that we just have the forgiveness of sin, that he paid for the punishment of our sin, but also the fact that the power of sin has been broken off of us and we are new creatures. Ezekiel says in chapter 36, verse 26, that the law was written on our heart, the law the stone of heart was removed and a heart of flesh was given us and the law was written in our heart. So again, there is victory over sin and the Apostle John is making that very clear to us that we have a new birth and that we have victory over sin. But he goes on and says, if we do sin, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the advocate is the word paraclete here, and it is one who intercedes on the behalf of another. The word says that there is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man Christ Jesus. In essence, family, the word says he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he is the one that intercedes. He is the one that says that this this is my child, and because they're my child, forgive their sin. And again, when it says, if we do sin, it's a conditional phrase here. And what it means is not the habitual practice of sin, but it talks about the infrequent act of sin. When we fall into sin, that we have an advocate that pleads our case before the Father. And the Word says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he goes on to say in verse 2 that he himself is our propitiation for our sin. And the word propitiation here is the sense of appeasement, and it's the sense of turning away anger by the means of sacrifice. And the picture really is found in the Old Testament as the high priest would enter into the holy place once a year on the Day of Atonement. Two times, once for his own sin, but the second time for the sin of the people. And he would enter into the very presence of the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God was, and he would sprinkle blood several times. It was to propitiate for their sin. It was the sprinkling of blood. And the Word says that we have forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus. We have the sacrifice that has been offered, and because of that we have forgiveness of sin. The offering of sin was for us as his people. But family, we need to remember the heart of God who wills that no one is sent to hell, but that all people are saved because the propitiation is for our sin, but also for the sin of the world. As we go on in our study, let's look at verses 3 to 6. The scripture says, By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The one who says that I have come to know him and does not keep his commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says and he abides in him ought to himself walk in the same matter that he walked. 
what is John talking about? Really, in essence, the proof of our salvation. And the proof of our salvation is not just to the world around us, but I really think it is also God's voice to you and I that we have an assurance of salvation and know that we're Christian. By this, he says that we have come to know him, that we have come to know him by experience, and we have an immediate and an immense knowledge of who he is. I remember before I was with Jesus, I used to read my Bible when I was in the Navy, and it was the most boring book in the world. It was great when I couldn't sleep because it put me to sleep by a chapter at the most. But I found when I became a Christian that the Scripture opened up to me, and I not only understood it, but I also understood the one who wrote it was the living God, and I knew that he loved me. So it's saying, in essence, as we're talking about Gnosticism, the Gnostics boasted about a superior knowledge, an intellectual ascent, where they, quote, knew the things of God. But as Christians, the knowledge is not just that which is intellect. It's not just theory, but it's experiential. As we experience the one who saved us and the one who loved us and is giving us eternal life, it is a personable relationship that is experienced continually with his presence. And then he's going to say, how do we know that we're saved or the proof of our salvation? He's going to say two things. One, we keep his commands. It's a conditional, again, if we do keep his commands. The one who does not keep his commands is a liar in the truth that is not in him. Because, again, salvation is not only forgiveness, but it's the new birth. It's the change of heart. We find ourselves wanting to obey God and wanting to please Him. And it is really a proof in our lives, not only to ourselves, but to the people around us, that as we live a life in obedience to Him, that we truly are saved and born again. It's the one who continually keeps His word, that in that person, the love of God has been perfected. It's a moral perfection. And it's a perfection of the grace of God that's in our lives. So one, do you know you're a Christian? You know you're a Christian by the fact that you find yourself wanting to obey the Lord. And when you don't, you're confessing your sin and asking for forgiveness. The second proof that we give here is that we walk in the same manner that he walked. To walk in the same manner means that we abide in him. To abide in him means that we remain in him. It's a knowledge, it's a fellowship, it's a consistency, and it's a dependency. Jesus says that he will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. He says that his mercies are new every morning. And it's for you and I is that we walk with him as we abide in him, as we dwell in him and remain in him, that there is an ongoing relationship that grows. You see, for many people, when they come to Jesus as they're born again, that's the primary thing of their life. It's the most important event that ever happened, and everything else is less. But, you know, for us, truly, as we get to know him, our salvation is something that grows. Our salvation was a great event, but it's only the beginning. And it's going to culminate in the fact that as we step into the presence of the Lord, or as our Lord returns for us, and then we will always be with our Lord. You see, it continues to grow, 
and the abiding relationship that we have in Him. Not just the desire to abide, but the effects of that changes us, and it should be that which declares to our hearts as well that we're Christians. Why? Because we walk in the same manner He walked. And as we look at Jesus, how did He walk? You see, the walk is not just footsteps, but it's the very way that we live, the conduct of our life. That we live in such a way that brings glory to Jesus. You see, in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that's where we were first called Christians. And it meant that they watched our lifestyle, the lifestyle of believers, and saw that those who were of the way lived in the same manner that Jesus lived. They reflected His glory to the world around and did the same things and had the same heart of compassion and love that Jesus had. You see, Jesus said to us, the works that I do, you will do, and greater works than these you will do. And Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit and went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. Jesus set the captives free. And you and I, the second way we can know that we truly are Christians, that we're saved, that we're forgiven, is not only that we keep His commands, they're not burdensome, but they're a desire that we want to please the one that saved us and live by His word. But the second thing is that we conduct ourselves, we look like Jesus, we live like Jesus, we minister like Jesus, and we love like Jesus. That proves that He has saved us. As we go on in our study, we look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 7 through 11. Let's read the Scripture. And the Scripture says, Beloved, I am, writing not, I am not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard. On the other hand, I'm writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is of the light and yet hates his brother is in darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because darkness has blinded him. So John is now talking about the authentic relationship with Jesus, what it produces. Authentic relationship with Jesus produces first the old commandment, that we have a love for others. See, the old commandment that he's writing to, he says, I'm not writing something new in quality or something completely different in thought, but it is not a new thought, but it is that which comes from the old. Not only from the old in the sense he talks about the beginning, it could be the beginning of our salvation where we began to walk with Jesus and we were taught to love one another. And I think, wasn't it the love of Christ that really drew you and I? My life was a pit. But when I found that people genuinely loved me and genuinely cared for me, and more, the living God died for me, loved me, and knew me, and drew me to himself, it changed my life. I knew the love of God. And I knew a love for other people. But in addition, the apostle may not just be talking about that 
which has happened from the beginning of our salvation. Because again, remember the scriptures that the early church had were based on the Old Testament. But it goes on to talk about the fact that from the law itself. See, the Mosaic law said that they were to love their neighbors, they were to love their enemies, and they were to care for the foreigner. And the summation of all the moral law was found in the fact that they loved others deeply. And then the apostle goes on in verse 8 to talk about the fact that the new commandment. Again, the new is not in quality, but it is a love that is unfolding through fellowship with Jesus and following him. It's new in practice. And how is it new in practice? It has developed new power, new meaning, and new obligation. The command enables because darkness is passing away, sin, unbelief, and hatred. And when it says that the darkness is passing away, it is a picture of a parade. And as the parade ends and it goes by you, you still see it, but it is in process of leaving. And it's just talking about the darkness, the evil of unbelief, of wickedness. What it's saying in the Word is that it is in the process as a parade it is leaving. And family, in the time that we live, may we remember that. The greater is he that is in us than that he that is in the world. The fact is that we read that Jesus has overcome the enemy. He has already won the battle. And now we are in skirmishes. But the enemy has been defeated. And as you and I stand in faith, remember the promises of God, the victory that we have in Jesus, we too will watch the parade of darkness leave because we are people of the kingdom, we are people with authority, we are people filled with faith, and we know that we have victory in our Lord. And he's talking about the new commandment, the commandment of love. Love breaks the sins of the world. And it's not only the compassion, but it is the self-sacrifice as we do what's best for others that destroys the work of the enemy. And then he goes on in verses 9 to 11, and he talks about abiding in the light. And he says that the one who says that they love Jesus and he hates his brother is in darkness. They still live in sin. They're blind to the truth of the gospel and they are blind to the path of salvation. Family hatred and unforgiveness, bigotry, all of those things block the reception from the truth of the word because the truth of the word is always found in light and found in love as we love people with the same love that we've received from Jesus. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and does not stumble. And for us as a family, may the love of Christ May the love of others fill our hearts and life and may faith fill us afresh as we watch darkness marching away and we see the light and the revelation of the presence of God. As we as a family are deep in worship, as we're deep in the word, as we're deep in prayer, we will see the revelation. We will see the kingdom of God come. We are a people that are standing with Pastor Ben for revival in our community and revival in our church, and we will see it because darkness is passing away. 
Isn't that a good word for us? As I'm living in this time and everything is overwhelming us, I need to know that there's victory in the Lord. We need to know there's victory in the Lord and deliverance for Jesus. Amen? Amen. See how we're doing on time. We are doing fine. All right. Authentic relationship with Jesus produces a confidence in salvation. Let's read verses 12 to 14 together. And the scripture says, I am writing to you little children, notice the term of endearment again, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Our sins have been forgiven. The word says that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So family, where the essence of condemnation is, apply the blood and declare your victory. The scripture goes on and says, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know who him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, that's me, because you have overcome the evil one. I'm writing to you, children, because you know the Father. And then he turns the tense as though that it's from the reader's perspective. And he says, I have written to you, fathers, because you know who, him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. <clears throat> so again, authentic relationship with Jesus produces a confidence in our salvation. We're settled. And he uses the terminology of just dealing with different age groups and different peoples. And he says, I am writing. It's a present. What he says remains true and it will continually be true through the ages. And he says, little children, your sins have been forgiven. They've been forgiven by an act of another one. That's how the Greek words it. It's by the act of Jesus' death on the cross that we have forgiveness of sins. Family afresh, let's receive that forgiveness. He goes on to say, fathers, because you have come to know him. And it says in the sense, you have come to know him and you still know him. You are mature believers and you have experienced a depth in faith. And because of that, you know the one that saved you and you will continue to know him and that knowledge will grow. He goes on to talk to the young men, younger believers, and he says that they have overcome the evil one. It's written in the perfect tense, which means it's an action that's happened in the past with continual results in the present. It's a permanent victory after the conflict has been won. The proclamation of the young men that they believe in Jesus has beaten the enemy and given them victory. He goes on to say, children, that's talking to new believers, those that have just come to the faith. And it can even talk to the young ones in our congregation that they have an experiential knowledge of the Father, that they have experienced Him and know Him. And then he goes on with the word play, the change of tense, from the, looking from the reader's perspective and says, I wrote to you because you know who Him who is from the beginning, Jesus, the eternal preexistent one. Our faith is in the person of Jesus, not the words of a book, but in the person of Jesus. You take Jesus out of the equation, we have nothing. But we have Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the second person of the Trinity, the one that died for our sins, 
rose again from the dead. The one is coming back for us and we will dwell with him for eternity. It is that one, the glorified one, that we have known him who is from the beginning. We do know him because the Lord has revealed him to us. And because it says to the young men, because you are strong through the abiding word. The word says to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. The word says to stand, therefore, in the strength of the Lord. And it talks about against opposition, that our opposition is not human opposition, but our opposition is demonically inspired. And so it's against that that we stand strong. And notice the strength is in our salvation and the strength is through the word of God. How do we get strong? In the spirit. How do we get strong? By the word of God. The continual washing of the word gives us great strength. How do we get strong? By being filled with the Holy Spirit, a continual aspect of having not only the Spirit's presence in our life, but an overflow of the Spirit. That gives us the strength. And family, I don't know about you, but let me just tell you where I'm at. It's not by might nor power, but it's by His Spirit. It is Christ in me. It's not Scott himself, but it is always Jesus in and through me. That is the source of strength, and it is a great strength that overcomes the world, and the world cannot overcome it. Let's go on. We're still talking about our authentic relationship with Jesus produces a separation from worldliness. Let's read together verses 15 through 17. And the scripture says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not him in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. What a promise. The one who does the will of God, the one that serves Jesus, lives forever. So again, authentic relationship with Jesus produces a separation from the world. And he's dealing again with Gnosticism, which says that the things of the material world, that they're evil and that it's the spirit that's saved, but you can live a life of sin and still be saved because it's of this fallen world and it equates to nothing. But he's dealing with this, that again, if we live in sin, if we live, if we chase after the things of the world, it is that that destroys faith and that which separates us God, and in that from God. And he says in that, that the world is passing away, but the faith, the relationship that we have with the Lord remains forever. So he goes and says to us, separate ourselves from worldliness. He says, do not love the world or the things of the world. It's a continual command. And what it's doing is saying, either stop an action that's in progress, that you're loving the world, more than you're loving the Lord. Or it says, don't develop a habit by beginning to love the things of the world. It says, if anyone loves the world, the love of God is not in him. In other words, they don't love God if they're chasing after the things of the world. And the world is the fallen system. It's not the trees. It's not the plants. It's not the animals. You know, it's not enjoying nature. God has made that for us but it's talking about the fallen world system. 
and it's talking about that which is alienated from God and hostile to God. It is that which uh, pursues pleasure and the practices of unsaved humanity, the sins of humanity. If we're chasing after those things that are opposed to the knowledge of God, the morality of God, the ethics of God, that is chasing after the things of the world. And that which is produces death. And it really pulls us back from our relationship with the Lord. It's as we press into the Lord, as we live a holy life, that it is that which purifies us. The scripture says, be in the world and not of the world. And Paul says that the world was crucified to him. And family, may the world be crucified to us. There is a constant pressure for us as Christians to compromise ourselves and to chase after the materialism, to chase after the worship of money, to chase after the pleasures of life, and to explain away the sin. The Gnostics said they weren't sinning because the spirit is saved and the physical body is not. But we live a holy life in the same way as we live as Jesus lived. He was holy unto the Lord. Let's go on in our study and look at verses 18 and 19. The apostle says, Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, don't fear that. We have power over that. Even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour, that they went out from us, but they were not really of us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they were not of us. So, authentic relationship with Jesus produces a loyalty to the truth, a loyalty to the one who saved us, and not the current trend of thinking that goes through our culture or even that which goes through the church. And he says that they have heard that the Antichrist is coming. And that is a promise that Paul talks about, that Peter talks about, that Jesus talks about, and John definitely talks about in the book of Revelation that there will be one that will come in the place of Christ and will rule over the nations for a period of time and deceive the many and draw them away from the Lord. But it would also be the one that the Lord as his return will slay him with the, his, the sword of his mouth and destroy his work. So the truth is there will be an antichrist and a kingdom that will come. But for you and I, we're to be busy about the work of the king, not looking at end times and speculating about when this is going to happen, but we need to be looking to the fields that are white for harvest and drawing people to know Jesus, bringing people to Jesus and Jesus to people. That's the work that we have to do. And if we really knew that the end was coming, then we should be busy about the work of our king, telling everybody that we can about the one that loved them, that died for them and rose again from the dead. You see, we're people that bring salvation to people. This is temporary. We enter into eternity once the one comes. 
and he will destroy the work of the Antichrist. But the truth the apostle wants us also to know is that there are many Antichrists that are even in operation now. Specifically, he was talking about the Gnostics and the false teachers that were deceiving the church and drawing them away from their true faith in Jesus Christ. And as he talks about that, he says that we, they were living in a turbulent time. Are we living in a turbulent time? Absolutely. And those uh, of the Antichrist or the Antichrist spirit or those who stand against Jesus or stand in the place of Jesus and pretend to be the Christ. And we've seen many false cults come up. We've seen some real weird stuff. But we also are a people that are drawing people and standing against the work of Jesus and family. Our faith is based on the person of Jesus alone. <clears throat> it says that they went out from us. Their action by leaving is proof that they were not of the true faith. And again, he could be referring to the Gnostics and the false teachers, but also for the people that they led astray, that there wasn't that solidity. Remember the parable of the soils, that you had the soil that the path was stone, the word fell on it, the seed fell on it, the enemy came and took it away. And then you have the seed falling in rocky soil, and that rocky soil was that that had no depth, but when persecution came, they quickly left. Then you have the third seed that fell among the thorns, and the thorns choked out the desires of the world, choked out the teaching of the world, choked out the truth, and no fruit was produced. And then, of course, you have the good soil. So he goes on to say they went out from us, but they were really never of us. They did not have or they rejected the true faith that was in found in Jesus. Here's the key, family, <clears throat> as we talk about the Antichrist. Again, the word says that the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to him and are safe. We are safe in Jesus and the word says that he is able to keep us into that day. We do not fear. He is our strength. He is our protector. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. You cannot take this salvation that we have. But the key is to guard our heart against new teaching, against false teaching, against bitterness, and that which would try to draw us away from the Lord. Let's go on in our study and look at verses 20 to 24. Verse 20 reads, But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is his Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, and the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. As for you, let that abide in you, which you have heard from the beginning. Let that simple gospel that was given to you, that you received of the mention of the work of Jesus on the cross for you, that which you have had from the beginning, let that abide in you. Don't leave the simplicity of faith, but allow that to remain to you. And then he goes on to say, if what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. 
we remain in the simplicity of the gospel, trusting in its truth, its reality. We have seen it. We have experienced it. We see it working through our lives. And because of that, we remain steadfast and we have the Father, we have the Son. What a promise for us. You see, authentic relationship with Jesus produces not only a loyalty to the truth, but it also produces an anticipation of the promise of eternal life. A loyalty of the truth. In opposing falsehood, you know what is true. You cannot be deceived. You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who walks beside us, pleads our case, but also the one who brings revelation and discernment and delivers us from all falsehood. The lie is the one that denies Jesus. If you deny Jesus, you don't have the Father. The truth is the one who confesses that Jesus and abides in him. Paul finishes this time by talking about authentic relationship with Jesus as an anticipation of the promise of eternal life. You can read that in verses 25 through 27. And Jesus himself has promised us eternal life. Eternal life is not just written in the scripture, but Jesus has told us that he has gone to prepare a place for us. And if he's gone to prepare a place for us, he's going to come back for us. We read the words in scripture, the promises of God, and we know that we have eternal life in him. Paul says the things that I'm sorry, John says the things that he's written is to battle deception and to make sure that our faith remains firm, that the Gnostics, that the false teachers cannot take away the promises that we have in the Lord. The anointing that we have is the promise of Jesus, the Holy Spirit that would be given to us, and that is that which is found in John chapter 14, verse 26, that he would send another helper for us. As we abide in him and dwell in him permanently, he dwells in us permanently. And it says that the one who is given to us as a paraclete, that he will teach us all things. He will not only bring to remembrance what Jesus has said, but he will give us the gift of discernment and give us the ability to know what is true and what is not. In my younger years, I was in a meeting and somebody came as the fathering apostle. And he was teaching our community. And he began to speak in tongues. And there was something that went off inside me and other believers. And we were looking at each other like, what is wrong? And it was just like the voice of the Holy Spirit was shouting, no, 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 deceiver. And we found out that as we stood up and said, this is not right, wherever you're from and whatever you're doing, uh, we found out through his life that he was a deceiver. You see, the Holy Spirit has come not only to be our teacher, not only to plead our case, to comfort us, to guide us in life, but he will guard us against all deception. And that means that you and I must remain in close contact and relationship with him. So how do we apply the text and all that John has said to us today? First, we need to be confident that we have been saved because we find ourselves, our confidence is based in this. Based on the word, the word says if we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that we're saved, we shall be saved. <clears throat> That's number one. Number two, we find ourselves obeying the Lord and grieving when we don't obey him. There's been a transformation in our lives. 
we know that something different has happened. And because we find ourselves living the same way that Jesus lived, wanting to minister to people, wanting to care for them, wanting to make a difference in the world, and also that draw to the secret place. I don't know about you, but that's the most important for me is all. That time with Jesus, it's transformative. If you don't have it, I just encourage you, I implore you, I beg you, spend time in prayer and in the Word. It will change your life. But the apostle is affirming the fact and wants us to know the truth, but also by that truth to want us to know that we're truly saved and we're forgiven of all of our sins. Our confidence is in this, that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The second thing is we apply the text is to love others, refuse to be angry, refuse to be bitter or to hate, love your enemies. The love of God has been poured in our life, but it is something that is miraculous, but it is a decision in our heart to love other people. In family, we're living in a time right now of bitterness. We're living in a time that people are just arguing about every little thing. And if you haven't got a set yet, just turn the TV on or talk to a couple people with different perspectives than yours. And you'll find out that you have bitterness in your heart. And we need to make sure that we are not walking in that bitterness, but we're walking in forgiveness. The third thing is be careful of what teachings you're receiving. Family, turn the internet on. I get so many posts from other people every day of listening to different teachers and preachers. Family, this is our church home. Pastor Ben is our pastor. He's our primary teacher, and what we do in this body should be the primary information that we learn about the kingdom. The other thing that's really our primary teacher is the Word, that we're to be in the Word ourselves. Often you and I have so many voices, so many different things being said to us, it produces confusion, or we tend to align ourselves with that which we agree with. But the Word was not written for you and I to agree with. It is written to challenge us and to make us holy. So again, be careful of what you're listening to and watching, especially even on the Christian stations, the podcasts that are coming out. Devote yourself to what Jesus is doing in this congregation, but also devote yourself to the Word and let the Word speak to you as you journal, that it will bring life to you and Jesus will speak to you personally. That's what we really need to hear. The fourth thing is regularly feast on the Lord. The Lord, the, I'm sorry, feast on the Word. The Word itself guards our hearts against deception. It is one of the key tools in the toolbox that Jesus has given us to, to defeat the lies of the enemy. The Word brings life. Feast on it. Regularly be in it day in and day out. The next thing that the apostle said to us is guard our minds on eternity or put our hearts on eternity. Remember the fact that this life is temporal, but we have our names written in the Lamb's book of life. We will rule with Jesus for a thousand years, and then we will live with him through eternity in a new heaven and a new earth with a new city, the new Jerusalem. Have you thought about this? You know, as Pastor Ben's been taking us through Revelation and just God's, John's vision of Jesus, the Holy One, the glorified Lord. It has caused me to think greatly about that which is to come. As you and I put our hearts on eternity, 
we cleanse ourselves and defeat the lies of the enemy. And the last thing that the scripture is speaking to us today is live or practice righteousness. The word says, be holy for I am holy. And holiness is that which God has set us apart for his work. But holiness is also an act by which we do as family. And so we give ourselves completely to serve Jesus. We are a people of faith. We are a people of hope and love. And we are a people that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We have been saved. We have been forgiven. We are being delivered from this world system as the Holy Spirit gives us revelation and guidance and draws us closer to Jesus. May we be a people of his presence, a people of his word, a people of prayer that worship in spirit and truth. Family, be blessed. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for your grace. I thank you for allowing all that we have read and learned today. Apply that to our life. Transform us, Lord, and make us like you. Break every deception, every lie, and break the bitterness of this life and the season that we're in and release the keys to the kingdom of, of heaven. Release hope and faith and love in our hearts. Lord, bless your people. Grace them, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.